Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica, and we are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we're going to talk about birth, babies, breastfeeding, nursing practice, and more from our perspective as nurses in the hospital world. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a newly pregnant, first-time parent, or expecting your second baby and you want a better experience this time around, this podcast is for you. Join me and my co-host and special guests as we discuss birth from the womb to the room. Welcome back to the Birth Nurses Podcast. We are ending our season two with a very special guest. Her name is Bree Stolmuller. She is a doctor of physical therapy and she specializes in pelvic floor physical therapy. And we're going to learn all about that today. She has been a physical therapist for about four years now, and she works at a place called Origin in Brentwood, which love that place. I know it pretty well. And um, yeah, let's just get into it, Bree. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And give us an intro on you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be able to talk about this, especially working with Shana before. (laughs) We could both just geek out on this. I'm excited to do this. (laughs) Um, So I, yes, I'm a physical therapist. I specialize in pelvic floor physical therapy, which not a lot of people know about. I did not know about it when I got into PT school (laughs) myself (laughs) um, and then found my way to it. Um, I live in Los Angeles in the Valley, and I have a daughter who will be two in January, which is so wild. So I've just been through all of this myself too. And yeah, I've been working at Origin for a little over a year now. Was hoping to be working there sooner, but with the pandemic, all of our plans got changed a little bit. So totally. Yeah. So what is the pelvic floor and what is pelvic floor PT? Yeah. So the pelvic floor, we all have one male, female, (laughs) everyone has one. We hardly ever talk about it or are aware of it, even though it's so important and does so many different functions for us. The set of muscles that sits at the base of your pelvis and it's involved in everything from breathing to peeing and pooping, sexual function. It's actually part of your core musculature, which not a lot of people think about mm. anything other than the, ab- than the abdominals being part of your core, but it is. Really? Um, and I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So your diaphragm, your deep abdominals, your transverse abdominis and your pelvic floor and some deep back muscles are all part of your core musculature. Um, and then it's also involved in pregnancy and childbirth and then supporting all of your internal organs that are sit in your pelvis. Yeah. So as a pelvic floor PT, what are some of the main problems that someone would come to the clinic for and how do you address those things? So with pelvic floor physical therapy, um, if anyone knows what physical therapy is in general, we're just trying to improve your function and looking at how you're muscles are working and your joints and all of that. And pelvic floor physical therapy is really similar. We're 
We're wanting to assess the function of your pelvic floor muscles specifically, as well as other muscles in the body, since everything is so interconnected. We don't just hone in on just the pelvic floor itself. Mm. Um, but we're assessing the tone of the muscles, the strength of the muscles, how coordinated you are. And um, yeah, it's, it's physical therapy, just like any other part of your body. We just happen to be internal for most mm -hmm. of the time. So we typically do an internal exam, which um, it's not like it is at the OB, like your feet are not up in stirrups and there's no speculum. It's just a single gloved finger, which makes it feel, I think a little bit more low key. And especially at origin, it doesn't feel overly medical, which is mm -hmm. nice. It's a little bit more of a calming space, which I'm sure Shana, you mm -hmm. felt like that as well. Um, and actually it's even okay to do internal assessments or internal work when you're on your period. And we, as pelvic floor PTs, we talk about and see all the things. So nothing makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> so I know sometimes patients get a little uncomfortable about that, but it does not make us uncomfortable at all. Um, and then, yeah, with, after we've assessed you, then we're just trying to look for where are your deficits? Like, where can we make improvements? Um, a lot of times in the strength or like the length of your muscles, not being um, overly tight and especially with the pelvic floor, so much of it is education because again, this is a part of our body that we don't really know a lot about. Yeah. Like when I took my first pelvic floor class, I was so embarrassed when the instructor was having us point out where the urethra was and I picked the wrong spot. I was like, I don't know. Where it is. So <laughs> it's just crazy that this is our bodies and we don't know a lot about it. And so yeah. the education is important, lifestyle modifications, um, and then the typical stuff of like improving strength and coordination and all of that. Yeah. I love all of that. And so I just, I guess I want to address a common myth maybe that I have heard a lot of moms say is that after you have a baby, you're always going to pee yourself. And like, oh, I can't jump on the trampoline with my kids. Or I, every time I laugh, I pee. Or every time I cough. Tell us more about that. And is that a common problem that you work with? Yes. So when I was first learning about pelvic floor PT and trying to decide if that was what I even wanted to go into, I was asking around my mom and some of my friends' moms and even then some of my friends about what kind of issues they've dealt with and that is one of those things that my mom especially was saying like, oh yeah, like, oh, I don't pee myself except for when I'm on the trampoline, which I'm like, okay. Like, and that was kind of a common thread. Like there's a lot of people that experience this, but it's not, it's not impacting their daily life all the time. Some people it really does depending on what's going on. Um, but that's where I think there's some problems with like the language that we use or what we're, what we're taught is that this is a really common problem. Mm -hmm especially like you're saying the leaking and like peeing when you laugh too hard or sneeze or on the trampoline. But just because it's common doesn't mean that it's normal or that it has to be that way. And mm -hmm. that was something when I learned about that, I, that's what made me choose to do this in the first place. Cause I was like, people don't know about this and they need to know about it because it's something can be done about it. And it's not a matter of necessarily going, getting surgery or doing anything really intense. It's a relatively easy and like non-invasive way that you can not pee yourself, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What you were saying about sexual function and bowel and bladder control that 
sometimes I think people try to normalize things that aren't, that shouldn't be normal, like painful sex and like painful pooping like that. That's not normal. And I think we've gotten so used to saying like, oh yeah, like let's normalize this and that. Right. Right. And it's not normal. So how would you, I mean, I went through this with you as my physical therapist, but can you talk someone through a first assessment, like the first appointment that they would have and what that looks like and the history that you go through? Yeah. And I think this is going to be really helpful for for people to hear because so that way it's not, it takes the mystery out of it. It's like, I can't tell you how many patients come in and are like, I have no idea what we're doing today. Like I've just heard my doctor told me to come and that's it. Um, So the first part, which is, I think one of the biggest parts is just asking you questions and finding out what your medical history is and not just surrounding, let's say if you had a baby recently, that's all going to be really important too. But even what was happening before that, and even like into, into your childhood, um, wanting to know just the history of how you've used your body and specifically your pelvic floor. Um, for example, if you were chronically constipated as a kid, like that's all pressure that's going to be adding up into your pelvic floor over time. Um, yeah. So just asking questions, trying to find out, um, really what all is going on. I really like to ask my patients too, what, what they think is going on as well. Cause, and I say this to all my patients, like I know a lot. I went to school. I have some experience, but you know, your body more than I do. And so I want to make sure that I'm hearing what it is that you think is going on. And I think that's also important just in the medical field in general, that people, but women specifically not getting pushed aside and be like, Oh no, that's not what you're feeling. Like, cause it's our bodies. Like we know what we're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So just really getting a good feel for what's happening and, um, piecing everything together to try to even without even touching or seeing anything, trying to piece together what, what has happened and what's going on. And then I always talk my patients through a little bit of education about what the pelvic floor is and the different functions And then letting them know as well that next, what we would typically be doing is an internal exam, explaining how that's done and that we're just looking for the tone and the strength of the muscles and always, always, always asking patients if that's okay. And letting them know that even if they don't want to do an internal exam on the first day or the first several days, that's fine. We can get a lot of information um, in different ways. Um, And then we do, um, I always start with an external exam, checking the range of motion of your hips and the strength around your hips. Cause again, it's not just the pelvic floor itself. Everything surrounding it is really important as well. And then doing the internal and external exam where we're looking at the vulvar area and that can even just give us cues as to what's happening before even feeling the muscles and then doing an internal exam. Um, and again, getting all that information from your body and then going over some kind of treatment, depending on what it is that you um, are presenting with, which can be anywhere from starting with something as simple as learning how to breathe properly, diaphragmatic breathing, or starting on strengthening exercises, or even just getting that, that brain body connection with that part of our body, since it's so, um, so often ignored, we just don't, we don't really connect to that part of our bodies. Yeah. I have a question. 
Yeah. Do you find that you have predominantly women who have recently had a baby or within a couple of years of having a baby, or do you see menopausal women as well who are experiencing urine loss hormonally or trauma or all of the above, or is, or is origins just specifically or predominantly women in childbearing years? I would say that um, a big portion of our population are those that are pregnant or relatively recently postpartum within a few years, Mm -hmm. but we do see women and people with vaginas of every stage of life. (laughs) Um, And like, I've had patients who had kids 20, 30 years ago and are just now wanting to come either because their symptoms are just kind of bothering them more than they used to, um, or patients that haven't gone through, um, pregnancy at all. And they're experiencing painful sex and, um, even going beyond the actual pelvic floor itself, but having kind of like digestive issues or symptoms related to endometriosis or kind of all across the the board. Yeah. So amazing. So amazing. Yeah. I remember being really surprised too, because I went in for one appointment and you weren't there. So I had a different therapist and she was like, so what do you want to work on today? And typically I have been going there because of perineal tears and scar tissue. And so we were working on that, but that particular day I was like, my shoulder, like my whole right side of my body is killing me, like my shoulder and my back. And she's like, okay, I'll give you a massage. And she (laughs) gave me the best massage that I've ever had. And I was like, how does she know? Oh, she's a physical physical therapist. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, she specializes in (laughs) pelvic floor, but she knows like the whole body. And I was just like, that was the best massage ever. (laughs) I have to to imagine that the pelvic floor as an extension of the rest of the body also, when you're not hyper-focused or pelvic floor centric, that you're also looking, like you said, at the rectus abdominis and you're looking at the upper body and you're looking at hips and legs. And um, that makes much more sense to me because I thought, you know, we just automatically believe that, you know, once you have a baby, you're going to leak urine and it's Mm -hmm. all about the pelvic floor and there's nothing else, but there's other stuff involved. Yeah. And even what you were saying, Shana, with coming in and having other things going on, it's like everything in our body is so connected that you can't isolate one specific thing. And even when we're talking about like postpartum, it's like, it's not like a lot of stress and some trauma has happened to your pelvic floor, but everything has changed in that time, like both during pregnancy and labor and delivery and taking care of a new baby, like your whole body's involved. And it's so, yeah, it's so important that you're looking at the whole body to see again, what exactly is happening and how is that influencing other things too? Cause especially with us talking how pelvic floor is part of your core musculature well, your core musculature in general is such the foundation for like all movements, mm. which there's studies that show like when you're about to move your shoulder, even like your deep abdominals kick on right before, cause they're stabilizing you yeah. in preparation for moving. So it's like, it's all, it's related to everything that you're doing basically. 
I think also there's a misconception that pelvic floor, let's call it injury or pelvic floor stress only happens when you deliver vaginally. And I'm pretty sure that's not true, that cesarean sections can also contribute to a weak pelvic floor. Yes. And any of my moms that have come in that have had a C-section are so floored that they have issues because they're like, well, I didn't, a baby didn't come through there. Like, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually women that have had C-sections are more likely to have hypertonic or like overly tight pelvic floor muscles than women who have delivered, delivered vaginally. And anytime you have muscles that are too tight, one that can, that heightens your nervous system. And so things are just more painful and, um, and also muscles that are too tight, they don't move through their full range of motion. And so they're not really as functional or as strong as they can be. So oftentimes you have tight muscles that are weak at the same time, which feels contradictory to people. But when you kind of step back and think about it, you're like, Oh yeah, like that makes sense. Okay, this is me stepping back and thinking about <laughs> Isn't it. Isn't it blowing <laughs> your mind? I'm blowing my mind. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I, I have, um, I've been a nurse for over almost 35 years. I have had two cesarean sections. I have chronic back issues. A lot of it, nurses just go, yeah, yeah, I've been on my feet forever and my low back. And I think to myself, I must have a fair amount of adhesions. We know that just by Shane and I are RNs, we work in the operating room and um, we see why the second C-section takes so much longer than the first, Mm. because the body has made these lovely adhesions, which makes it difficult to get down there. And all the pulling apart of the abdominal muscles must affect the pelvic floor. Can you talk to that? Yeah. Yeah. So a good way to think about your core in general is, um, there's a couple different ways you can think about it, either a soda can or, uh, yeah, let's talk about a soda can first. And then when we go talking about, so you want to think about it as like, it's a closed system, right? You have mm-hmm. for a soda can, you have a top, you have a bottom, and then you have sides mm-hmm. that connect to each other. So the top is the diaphragm. The bottom is your pelvic floor. And what's really cool about those two sets of muscles is as you breathe in, your diaphragm flattens. And remember this space in between inside your abdomen, it's a closed system that pressure has to go somewhere. And so that pressure Mm. goes down and helps to naturally lengthen your pelvic floor muscles. So every time you're breathing, you're helping to relax those pelvic floor muscles, assuming that you are breathing correctly, which that's why we go into that because it's so important to make sure that it's keeping those muscles flexible and able to move. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the front of the soda can is your deep abdominal muscles. And then the back of the soda can is your deep back muscles. And so it's a, it's a closed system. And whenever, um, again, like I said, like whenever there's pressure that's in there, it has to go somewhere. And so if, um, if you've had a C-section, for example, that has weakened that front part of the soda can. And so imagine if you've like dented a soda can or there's like a little, um, little, what am I trying to say? Like slit or something. That's a weaker point. And the pressure, if you were to squeeze that soda can, it's going to go right towards that weaker point. And even more so if you have, let's say like the abdominals are weaker, there's a weak point there. And then also you're not breathing correctly. So you're getting pressure from the diaphragm and your pelvic core muscles are really tight. You're getting pressure from there. 
even more so than that pressure is going to want to come out through the abdominals, which is why it's so important that all these muscles are working together properly to keep that pressure inside your abdomen um, balanced. So that way it's not causing issues in any of those different areas. Wow. So this has such far reaching ramifications, surgery, yes. abdominal surgery, laparoscopic yeah. surgery, open yeah. surgery, hernias. Yep. It all ties into the pelvic floor. Wow. Yeah. Basically any place where there can be scar tissue is, is that too far reaching of a statement or does that make sense? Like, because for your perineum, if you have a tear, there's scar tissue that builds up in your yeah. abdomen. If you have a C-section, there's that incision spot. So do you help, I know the answer to this question, but do you help <laughs> women loosen up that scar tissue? What's that process like? Yeah. So scars are really interesting because when you look at a scar, it, whether it's a large scar or not, you just see more or less a line, some kind of a line on the skin. And what you don't realize is that the scar actually, what you're seeing is kind of like the tip of the iceberg. And when you look mm -hmm. under the skin, it's actually kind of spidering down all through your connective tissue, your fascia. And that fascia is there because it's supposed to allow movement of the body and allow like the skin to move over the muscle and the organs to move past each other. We're, we're made to move. And so all of these pieces should be moving as well. When you have scar tissue, that's all getting tacked down and it's, it's getting pulled on. And so anytime you're moving, it's, that's creating issues. Um, I always like to reference, like imagine you have two pieces of paper and you can stack them on each other. You can slide them past each other, no problem. But then when you put a couple of dots of glue there and you stick it together, you try to slide it and things just get stuck and it starts to kind of pull where it shouldn't pull. And um, that's what scar tissue can do. And so what we work on in the clinic is not just working on the scar itself, um, but working on the connective tissue and the fascia surrounding the scar again, cause you, you can't see into there of exactly where all that scar is reaching to mm. making sure that can all move. Um, working on the scar can be a couple different things when we're talking about on the scar itself, we want to desensitize the scar and the tissue surrounding it. Cause again, whenever we have any kind of pain, what our brain does is it goes on high alert and it says, Ooh, like some, we don't like what's happening. This is dangerous. So it lowers that threshold of where we feel pain. And so something that even just like a light touch around or on a scar can feel like really sharp. Hmm. And so we need to teach the body to communicate to the brain and say like, Hey, like we don't need to be so heightened. Like let's bring this, this down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Therapeutic like, friendly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, um, and then working on the scar itself, like once things have calmed down a bit and just touching it, doesn't make you want to scream then doing a little bit more um, intense and aggressive like scar manipulation can be helpful to kind of break up some of those adhesions. So can, I'm, I'm ready to deep dive into this with manually instruments, dilators, what are we talking here? So you can do all of the above. So I always have my patients start off manually. I think your hands are so, um, like you can do so much with your hands and you feel can feel safe using your own hands. Mm -hmm. um, so whether it's me working on a patient or teaching a patient to work on themselves, cause I'm all about making sure that we can, I can empower my patients to do this themselves cause they can. Um, 
yeah, I start by using my hands. Um, and, but there's also tools that you can use like, um, a gua sha, which mm-hmm. I don't, and that's, it's really big in the beauty world for like tightening up the, the skin and on your face and stuff, but you can use it mm-hmm. on scars and it's nice because you need a little bit more leverage using that than just your hands made out of, um, like jade or some kind of stone or metal, um, oh, okay. typically. And that's why you can get a little bit deeper, um, and so I'm talking more for like C-section scar, at least mm-hmm. using like a gua sha or something like that to be able to kind of get a little bit deeper in there. Um, for perennial scars, um, you can use your hands, but some, again, with whether you're talking about C-section scars or perennial scars, sometimes it feels uncomfortable to use your own hands because you're like, I don't want to touch it. Like it's, it just feels, feels too close to home. So then you can use dilators, which I found, I mean, this can be both for, for scarring and just for general, like, um, painful sex Mm -hmm. using the dilators. They're, they're typically like non-phallic shapes. So like, no matter what your sexual preferences are, you're fine there. They come in pretty colors, which is nice. (laughs) I'm Um, sure there you try to create sort of a non-threatening environment where everybody can laugh and smile about it. And it must be yeah. very um, challenging also when you have a patient who is traumatized yeah. from a traumatic birth or a, a bad tear or assault or any of those things. Right. I can't even imagine what that must be like to now have to go into a physical therapist's office and have them be very hyper-focused on your vaginal canal. Right. Unbelievable. And- and what's nice too, is like when you teach that to a patient to be able to do at home, they're in the comfort of their own home. They can dim the lights. I always tell them like, create whatever is like your most relaxing environment <laughs> that you candle. can. Yeah, seriously. Soft music. <laughs> do some meditation. Cause again, we're trying to bring that nervous system yeah. and calm it down at the same right. time. Wow. That's amazing. So talk to us a little bit about second stage labor pushing and the perineum. What do you talk to your patients about when they come in to tell you about what they think is birth trauma? I'll just say that what I see a lot in labor and delivery is excessive perineal stretching, unnecessary excessive perineal stretching in the pushing phase of the second Mm. stage. And I always feel that this is traumatizing the perineum but I never get to see or talk to my patients again. And they probably land in your office eventually. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So some things that we tell patients to do even before they're in labor is to do some perennial massage because there's some really good studies that have shown that doing the perennial massage starting like four, four to six weeks before your due date can help to reduce your chances of tearing and reduce the, if you do tear, reduce the severity of the tear. So that's one thing that is really important to be able to do in preparation ahead of time. Um, And then when it comes to actually being in the hospital or wherever you're birthing, um, the positioning and the interventions that are happening are really important. So things that I've had a lot of patients talk about are um, just not knowing like whether, like whether they've looked things up on their own or whether their doctor said like, oh, like we want to do some stretching on the perineum when baby's coming out to help it stretch over baby's head. 
whereas the um, the research shows that that's that it doesn't help and can actually lead to more tearing. Um, whereas being able to have a warm compress on the perineum can help those tissues just be a little bit more pliable. And that's what we need. Cause when we're pushing, it's really those pelvic core muscles just need to be able to lengthen and stretch and get out of the way, um, which they will do on their own. And there's just things that we want to do to kind of help, but the actual manual stretching isn't helpful. Um, and other things that we tell patients to do is to pick a position that you feel comfortable giving birth in. Um, and there's a lot of different positions that you can be in. And specifically, we want patients to have their, um, their feet out further than their knees and to have their back arched, because that's going to help open the pelvic outlet or where baby's coming out of, which yeah, we've been doing the a lot better, of closed knee pushing now. Yeah. Cause the more, that the better the, your body is positioned, that's going to help to actually relax the pelvic floor itself too. And a relaxed pelvic floor is going to lengthen and move out of the way. So that way baby can come out with less, um, less injury to the perineum. Fantastic. Yeah. It's a, it's a problem, um, trying to educate that the excessive, perineal and vaginal stretching for one, two, sometimes three hours. It goes on, it is injurious, and it should stop. Very much appreciate you stating that there really isn't any literature to support that during pushing. Yeah. I have patients ask me about perineal stretching before birth. And the reason why I haven't been on that train specifically is because I haven't had a good enough test group of people who do it mm. properly and consistently. Right. And then report their findings. What do you think about that? Yeah. So we have, I tell patients like starting at about 34 weeks, you want to do this daily if possible, minimally three to five times a week. Um, Cause some, even though it, it's not a, a extremely time consuming thing, I think it's just another thing on your plate to be doing while you're prepping for baby. Right. And it's just can right. be overwhelming, but I try to let my patients know too. That's like, if this is 10 minutes out of your day, this is something that's really relatively small in your day that can make a really big impact, not just for that day itself when you're giving birth, but for all these other things that we've talked about that can happen mm -hmm. after the fact. Yeah. Making sure that they understand how to do it, try it on their own and, or with their partner. Cause it's, it's can be yeah. hard by the time like you're that far along to do it yourself. Reach. Yes. <laughs> and so having, right. making sure they have a, like that their partners are on board to help them as well. Cause that might be a barrier too, is if they don't have a partner that feels comfortable doing that, then they just want to do it as often. Um, if they can't get that help, what's interesting is that specifically women that it's, if this is their first baby, if they're 30 years or older, um, or if they've had an episiotomy before, then perennial massage massage is shown, um, to be especially helpful for those, for those women. Thank you. Appreciate no, I, that. I forgot if you said this already, but, um, what if someone comes into labor and delivery, they have no clue what their pelvic floor is and their perineum <laughs> and, and they, you know, they say, I just don't want to tear. What would be your best advice for helping that you mentioned pushing positions, but is there anything else yeah. that would do to prevent tears? Yeah. So even with the positions, 
depends on whether they have an epidural or not, but even if you do, you can still be, I know every hospital is different and every nurse and every doctor is slightly different on what they feel comfortable with and what they do. Um, but typically being on your back is not the most ideal position for baby coming out, not only because of the position of the pelvis, but then the position of the pelvis is influencing the tone of the pelvic floor. Mm. So really good positions are sideline or some combination of being like on all fours, whether you're actually on hands and knees or on your knees and then your arms and your chest resting on a birth ball or something like that. Um, even though a lot of my patients have said like, oh, I want to give birth squatting, even though yes, like gravity can help with that, that puts a lot of strain on your pelvic floor. So I'd say if they have never done anything with their pelvic floor, even if they have, but especially if they haven't done anything with their pelvic floor before, not to give birth in a squatting position. So that's just going to put excessive strain on those yeah. pelvic floor muscles. So you um, prefer side lying and hands and knees to squatting or flat? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And there's things like when you're on your back, if you can put a towel roll underneath the top portion of your pelvis, like low back, that can help to create that arch in your back. Mm-hmm. And then just making sure that your knees are further together than your feet okay. um, can still kind of mimic those, those same things. Um, and then also making sure that when you're pushing that you are exhaling, which I know this is really common for a lot of people to be coach during birth to hold your breath and push as hard as you can. And while that can be effective, especially if something is going on with the baby and baby just needs to come out, it similarly to being like in that squatting position, it's going to put a lot of strain on those pelvic floor muscles mm-hmm. that can just lead to more, more injury. Um, and so trying to exhale and really mostly just trying to relax your pelvic floor as much as possible, which if you don't know as much about your pelvic floor and haven't done that before, that's going to be a lot harder to do. Yeah. Um, however, one trick that you can do is if a patient feels comfortable with it, having a mirror in front of them. So that way they can kind of see if it seems like they're tightening their muscles where in a mirror it would kind of look like things are kind of puckering and pulling mm-hmm. it up and in. And if they're doing that, trying to relax and let go of that. So that way, again, if we're tightening the muscles, we're directly doing the opposite of what those muscles need to do to allow baby out. We don't want to be fighting in that moment. Yeah. Did you, this is a more personal question, but when you were having your baby, did you apply these concepts when you were in labor and delivery? So it's really interesting is going into it. I had, I had certain things on my birth preference list without trying to go overboard, all the Googling, <laughs> I try to have like a like a good, a good list, but not have it be too much. Um, and was like bent on like, okay, I'm, I'm going to deliver in sideline and going to do all these things. But when you're in the moment, you're in such a different state of mind. And, um, the nurses where I delivered specifically were coaching the things that were opposite of what I was wanting to do. And when you're in the middle of trying to push a human out of your body, it is the last thing that you want to do is trying to argue with them and convince them. Um, and so I was able to push for a little bit when I was on my side, but according to the nurses, they said, Oh, you're not really, nothing's really happening. So then I ended up delivering on my back. So even if you deliver in a not optimal position, like everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like baby will come out and everything will be fine. Um, and then I would try to 
exhale while I was pushing and the nurse would be like, nope, like you need to hold, really hold your breath and just really push. And even if I would try to kind of half explain it, I was just exhausted. Right. And so yeah. I kind of met them in the middle and would kind of try to make it look like I was holding my breath, but then really like <laughs> breathing through my nose. Like, okay. Okay. So, you know, we just did a collaborative care podcast. This whole conversation really speaks to the relationship between nurses and patients. Yep. Yes. about protecting and how can we tell patients that you can s- s- put a stop to the room or your person, your advocate, your doula, your, your partner and say, let's understand, I'm going to push in the way that I believe is the best thing for my body. And I would like everyone to stop telling me to hold my breath and bear down if that's not working. I do that sometimes. I tell patients to hold their breath if they're not moving the baby. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, the doctors almost always insist patients hold their breaths. And um, how do we do that? How would you have liked to have had that conversation? I think what's tough is, and even just you talking about the collaborative care pieces, I feel like being able to, well, doing this podcast is going to be helpful because it's going to let PT's point of view and nurses kind of like come together. Cause it's, I think part of it is not having an understanding of what nurses are telling patients and why, and what PTs are telling patients and why, and how can we make that come together more so that way patients aren't like, wait, like, my pelvic PT, right. pelvic PT told me this, but then the nurse is telling me this and just like that confusion and that, um, Part that of sense of fighting. Edu- educating nurses. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very okay. much. And yeah. yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna talk more about that. That's great. Yeah, Thank you. I, I mean, everything that you were saying about your birth experience just points to if the nurses knew about pelvic floor PT and knew about protecting the pelvic floor, they would change the way they were coaching you. And so I got into the practice. I mean, I have three babies myself or have had three babies. And so I I know perfectly well, like what can happen (laughs) to your perineum during childbirth. And I definitely wanted to avoid that, but you're right. When you're in the moment, it's like this this cloud is around your head and you can't see out of it and you need guidance. And if someone's guiding you in a certain way and you don't have the words or the energy to express like your preferences or how you want it to go, and maybe your partner isn't able to like express that too. And then there's this fight going on kind of Mm. that that's going to affect your, your birth experience. So Something I started doing was teaching my clients in my birth class um, and also teaching my patients to do open glottis pushing. So mm-hmm. the way that we typically or like nurses typically will coach um, the patient to push is, okay, take a big breath and hold it like you're going underwater and push as hard as you can and push like you're pooping. So then all that pressure is going down on your perineum and your butthole pretty much. (laughs) And that's not where you push a baby out. Like you have to push out of your vagina. So, and that's closed glottis pushing. You're holding everything in, all the air staying in. But the exhaling, I'm just kind of like going to like 
fight against you a little bit. The exhaling <laughs> um, lets all that pressure out, but we do need a little bit of pressure. So mm-hmm. how I teach my patients is to take a big breath and imagine their abdominal muscles wrapping around their baby and then holding that pressure and bearing down. But if you go like this, some air is still coming out yeah. and that's open glottis pushing. Like I had all that pressure in my abdomen, but I could still speak and that mm. still allows oxygen to get to the baby, but it's, it's adding the pressure that you need to push your baby out. So, okay. um, that's, I feel like that's maybe a way that L and D nurses and pelvic floor PTs can meet in the middle yeah and glottis pushing but still you need you need that pressure of bearing down um and I am all about side pushing because I've you can get the angle with your knees like the closed mm-hmm. knee on your side and then you could put a peanut ball or pillows right to rest your ankle on in between pushes and then when it's time to push you lift that top leg up and, um, yeah, I love side pushing and hands and knees pushing. And I liked what you said too, about rolling a towel underneath, like putting it under your, under your sacrum to kind of angle your pelvis in the right way for your baby to, to move on out birth canal. Yeah. Fantastic. So I have a question for you about okay. that, talking about the way of pushing. Cause I think that is one of the bigger things of where there's like some like disconnect right between what pelvic PT is saying, what nurses say. So the way that I typically will tell patients is to like take a deep breath in because that again, taking the deep breath in initially, like really like filling your lungs, filling your belly, because that's going to like get the diaphragm to lengthen and add some of that natural pressure that's in there. And then keep your belly big, tighten your abdominal muscles, and then either exhale or any form of exhaling. So it can be exhaling, yelling, roaring, whatever like feels Mm -hmm. like you, um, feels natural in that moment. How do you feel like that is like letting out, like in that, in that way of letting out more air, but using some of those other abdominal muscles and kind of doing it in that way. Like, what are your thoughts on that versus more of the open glottis? I was like, I was just trying to test it out right now. (laughs) I was like bearing down (laughs) while we're recording this podcast. Um, I feel like, huh, that's interesting. Like maybe little grunts would be better than a yell or a roar. That's what I tell my patients too. Yeah, like, so I'm going to do it right now. Like it's right. just the littlest grunt, but I have so much pressure in my abdomen and I don't feel tight in my perineum. Okay. Which that might be but, some of the difficulty too is yeah. how in tune you are with your own pelvic floor muscles, right? Like that and can when make you have a an really epidural, big difference. You're numb. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. Then you can't feel what's happening down there. You, you have to, you have to completely go on that baroreceptor, that pressure receptor. Right. Yeah. And, and this is why I will have yeah. patients practice being able to tighten their abdominals while keeping their pelvic floor muscles relaxed 
So that way for like weeks oh, that's leading funny. up to labor and delivery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, cause whenever, whenever our brain is kind of making new connections, it can take six to eight weeks to like really get a good grasp on that new neuromuscular, um, feedback that we're getting. And so I'll have my patients practice that. So when the time comes, whether or not you have an epidural, again, we're in a totally different state of mind that it's kind of more like muscle memory of knowing how to like keep those pelvic floor muscles relaxed while tightening like your abdominals. Hmm. So you see a lot of women pre-birth to teach Uh them how to protect their pelvic floor. Awesome. And yeah. in your perfect world, three, six to eight weeks before birth? Uh, four to six weeks is typically when, um, four to six when weeks we'll before. start. I like seeing patients even earlier than that, just to kind of prime their brains with everything because it's just so, it's so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, probably I'd say maybe like around the 30 week mark is like a good spot to get patients, especially because I've had a couple of patients who I was like, okay, I'm going to start going over this at 34 weeks or 36 weeks. And they happened to deliver early. And so they didn't get all of that stuff. And so I like to right. now kind of right. preemptively start talking about some of that stuff. And then we can go into more detail later, but just so at least they have that because it's nature. So you have no idea what's going to happen or how it's yeah. going to go. Fantastic. And if someone okay. is having like sciatica pain in pregnancy, you guys can help with that too. I mean, yeah, just pelvic floor PT. Everybody needs to go. Everybody (laughs) go. (laughs) I think I'm on that uh, train. Yeah, I think so. Sounds fantastic. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Brie, for all of your amazing knowledge that you shared with us today. Is there anything else that we missed? Like maybe your, you know, final statement of pelvic floor PT and labor and delivery or postpartum? Yeah, I think just the biggest thing for everyone to take away is you have a pelvic floor, you deserve to know about it, it is involved in everything that you're going to be doing throughout your life. Even if you don't think that this specifically applies to you, go to a pelvic floor physical therapist, get an evaluation, start learning about this. So that way, if and when things do arise, you already have that foundation. I think as a society, we're not very good at the whole preventative care. And just yeah. really focusing mm-hmm. on our wellness. And I think this is a really huge part of our wellness that we yeah. can be focusing on that can be so, um, so powerful. And then especially when it comes to pregnancy and labor delivery and postpartum, that just getting as much, as much help as you can is really important. And there's a lot that, that we can do to, to help you with that. And uh, it's never too late. It doesn't matter if you just had a baby a couple of days ago, or if you had a baby decades ago, all of these things can, there's always something that can be done. Um, and even if these things seem overwhelming and there's so much to know and so much to do, picking one thing and just like doing something is better than doing nothing. And um, you don't have to do, you don't have to do it all. You just, just doing something is going to help you um, help yourself. <laughs> Fantastic. Awesome. Well, now I'm going to go do kegels. So yeah, I know I'm sitting here. Trying I should have to, been, uh, I should have been relax. doing them the whole time. Yeah. But. I'm relaxing my pelvic floor and tightening my stomach muscles. And that is not easy. It's really hard. It is, yeah. but it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. That was very enlightening. Thank you guys. And putting up some literature and some, uh, 
information on how to get in touch with Brie. Hi, this is Liz and Shana, and we're going to do a little unpacking of our recent podcast with Brie. That was really interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I'm a huge fan of pelvic floor physical therapy. I couldn't tell. <laughs> I could tell. And but, it's also, yeah, 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 good to know that she not only sees people who have had vaginal births, but persons like myself who had a long labor followed mm-hmm. by surgical birth. And even though I had a small baby and a posterior baby, um, I was very fortunate not to have any pelvic floor injury, but I know a lot of friends who did have cesarean births after long labors and clients, of course, yeah. uh, who would really greatly benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy. Yeah. The main takeaway, I think, is how we can apply what she said, the knowledge about your pelvic floor, to labor and delivery, specifically in the pushing stage. Absolutely. Um, I have a particular soapbox issue at the moment that I cry from the rooftops. (laughs) Go for it. This is something that has sort of evolved over the years that I've watched. It is not supported in any literature whatsoever. It is taught from nurse to nurse, and obstetricians do it routinely. If your perineum is bleeding, swollen, and painful, before the babies even come out, that is a perineal injury and it's unnecessary. And just remember that you have the right to say no to excessive perineal stretching in the second stage. That is not to say that Bree's discussion regarding gentle perineal massage cannot be beneficial. Just wanted to make sure you all out there have the distinction. And the research article that Bree was referencing will be linked in the show notes. Uh, and just a little shout out, Brie works at Origin, Yay, Origin in Brentwood, but there's other locations throughout Los Angeles and California, and you can go to their website, www.theoriginway.com, for in-person or virtual appointments, and you can also check out their Instagram page for informational posts, so I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes, check them out, and I hope that this episode was helpful for you. Me too. Thank you for listening. I loved it. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as Birth Nurse Liz and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.